everybody. This is Atkins. And this is Adam. And we're welcoming you to another episode of the Almighty Podcast brought to you by the Back Patio Network. And it is going to be an awesome episode. Uh, I think we have got two really, really great episodes to talk about as far as my hero goes. And I feel like these are maybe two that a lot of listeners and watchers, readers have really looked forward to. Am I right? I mean... Everyone loves these villains. We're definitely in the the season section arc of the anime that I've heard the most buzz about, um, especially inside of our Discord, this uh, my my villain academia stuff. So it's fun to be kind of in the middle of that stuff because we've been hearing about it and we've been told, oh, good stuff is coming, good stuff is coming. And, and then we were teased that they skipped over this stuff and people were all mad, but now we've hit rewind and get to access this information and this uh, this narrative. And it's really, really fun. Um, the two episodes that we're covering tonight in the AMP are episode 109, Revival Party. And obviously the next episode, which is episode 110, whose title I cannot locate in my notes. It's called Sad Man's it's Parade. Um, Sad these, Man's Parade. These two episodes also cover a massive swath of the manga. They cover um, from basically page seven of chapter 224 all the way through the end of 233, I think, or 234. Oh, it's wow. It's a big chunk of the manga. That is a pretty big chunk, because normally these episodes only cover like four or five chapters, right? Yeah, I think like most episodes average somewhere between like two to four chapters, but this one covers a lot of ground. It was a lot wow, more reading yeah. than uh, than I'm used to for my hero. But, you know, there's certainly no complaint to be had there. It's really good stuff right now. That makes sense, too, because I felt like when I took notes for at least 109, there are like a lot of notes there. Like there's a lot of info dump in 109. So it makes sense that they would probably expand on that or or at least the way that they probably drew it out in the manga makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, you know, the average chapter length of a manga is something like 15 pages, I think. And if you have an episode of the anime that is dialogue heavy, think about how much space in a single page that takes up and therefore how many chapters they've got to cover in order to squeeze all that same information in just because of the physical space on a page that text takes up. So makes total sense. But Talking is not all that's done in these two episodes. There's a lot of fighting. In fact, there's a lot of back and forth between this scene and that scene and that scene. So we're kind of popping all over the place. It feels very dynamic, but that's going to be tricky for us to cover uh, sequentially, too. (laughs) Let's jump right into it. Revival Party 109. So at the beginning of this, we actually get introduced to uh, Chikara Yatsubashi, who is Destro. We've heard a lot about Destro, but we've not really seen a lot of Destro other than his book. Um, And it's explaining that he basically believed that using quirks was a natural right. And that uh, by, you know, by calling them quirks and by trying to regulate them, it was taking those rights away from him and anybody with a quirk. They're just part of you. You should be able to just use them. So he formed the Metahuman Liberation Army and it was eventually dissolved. And when he was dissolved or when it was dissolved, he wrote a book in prison and then sadly hung himself. He did, but unbeknownst to even him he had a child um before obviously before he hung himself um and that is who we will uh discover to be named redestru this character with the giant honker that we've seen uh in several <laughs> episodes now i cannot every time i see him i cannot get over his nose it looks like his nose would actually fill the cavity on um on uh overhaul's mask you know that giant beak it oh, would just yeah. fit right in it would it would be a, a snug fit uh, for Redestro's <laughs> nose, I think. Something about him reminds me of Eggman from Sonic. Dr. Robotnik. Mm, has he ever had a giant nose? 
I don't think so. It just something about him reminds me of Doctor Robotnik. In fact, in, in general, I feel like Redestro looks like a Sonic character. I couldn't tell you why. He just does to me. Yeah, I think Robotnik at one point had a no, a big nose, but it was like a Squidward nose, like a yeah, flaccid right. nose, like you know, like Redestro's is pointy, like it's like a daggum <laughs> like toucan beak sticking off the front of his face. Oh, it sure is. Yeah, you're right. He could uh he could do the uh, Fruit Loops. Yeah, that's right. He could De- be standing, Destro de loops. Just paint it up a little bit. He'll be fine. <laughs> um, we ha- have some discussion here. Uh, I think this is all before the credits, because um, I think after the credit or at, uh, the intro, rather, um, is where we see the League of Villain Overlook in Dyka yeah. City. Um, but they, the members of the MLA are sitting around a table and they say, we found somebody with connections to the League of Villains. If we're going to approach them, the sooner the better. And Redestro says that they are enemies of the MLA. If the government continues to stand by and idly watch then we have no choice but to deal with them. In Destro's name, we shall take down the League of Villains. Dun, dun, dun. And then cut right into the little perky, whoa, whoa, it's all right intro music. <laughs> I love this intro song, by the way. I don't know if I've told you that or not, but like it gets stuck in my head. I freaking love this intro. I like some of the musical elements to it, but overall, just the 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 lyrics do not do anything for me whatsoever. Really? Oh, yeah. man, I dig it. I really like this one. I keep telling myself, I'm like, I need to look more into that band. Uh, I was going to ask you, do you think the person that they're talking about, they're in with the League of Villains? Do you think that's, uh, uh, oh, what's his name, Hawks? Uh, I was going to call him him Feathers. Yeah, it says, we found someone with connections to the League of Villains. I think they're talking about Giran there. Giran, okay, that makes a lot more sense, since he's their captive and everything. Duh. (laughs) At first, I was like, in my brain, when I watched that, I was like, wow, so Hawks was probably with Meta Liberation Army before the League of Villains, and then and then they realized he was working with them, but that would have been weird. No, it was Giran. Jeez. Makes all I the sense. I can't believe that. Yeah. I'm happy to connect those <laughs> dots for you, buddy. Thank you. I'm sorry that the show couldn't. Now I feel dense. <laughs> well, we have the League of Villains o- uh, overlooking Dyka City, and there's lots of talk about how long uh, they have before Machia wakes up. Um, I think Compress says that it's still like an hour and 40 minutes. We get a couple of right. updates on that time over the course of these two episodes, but it ends up not really mattering because the doctor ends up waking up Gigantomachia like way earlier um, by buzzing him through his radio. Spoiler alerts for episode 110. Um, Dobby's still pissed to be wondering what in the world he has to be around for any of this stuff. And this ticks off twice. Twice is very concerned with Giran's well-being. And so he kind of yells at Dobby that like, listen, Garen introduced you to the League of Villain too. But yeah. Dobby don't care because Dobby don't care. That's just what he does. But Slide and Glide, um, the hero that we know has uh, close ties to the MLA is the one who lorded his higher position over Hawks in earlier episodes, approaches and explains that he's there to guide them to the leader of the MLA, which was kind of a lie. Yeah, sort of, because he basically just leads them into the middle of the town. And as he's like leading them up, we start to see folks that inhabit the town like up on the roof or just kind of around at first it seems totally dead empty uh and then they kind of slowly start to trickle out but then we get this guy we meet him his name's hanabata i believe is is how you pronounce it yeah Uh, yeah i can't remember if it's hanabata or hanabarta there might be an r in there i think it's hanabata uh but Anyways, he is, they recognize him, someone does, I couldn't catch who, who it was that said it, but they recognize him as the, like, kind of the head of this political party named the Hearts and Mind Party, uh, and he's talking about how the whole city is actually liberated, basically, like, all of the inhabitants there are part of the Meta Liberation Army, and they all have, like, full free will use of their, their quirks and their powers, and then, like, out of nowhere, Slide and Guide's, like, not there, or Slide and Go is not there, and... 
And this guy just starts attacking them all. I say he starts to like the whole town. It just like the whole fight just breaks up and starts going crazy. Uh, so the Shigaraki calls him a mini boss, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, and we see it's really fun to pay attention in scenes like this to just the background. You're never going to know their names or actually see the fullness of their quirk like side characters. Um, like there's a dude in here that's just wielding a chainsaw. There's a dude who has like water or vapor for arms. There's one dude who has tentacles. There's just another dude with an axe. Later on, there's just two dudes who are baseball players like, yeah. in one of these scenes. That's just what? Um, so it's just fun. to. It's They're just throwaway characters, but it's fun to see how uh, like how they're presented, how silly some of these guys can be. I could have sworn there was one that had like a big metal jaw and that was it. Like, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> Whereas one dude who has like a giant chain chomp on his arm that gets some scream time in this episode of the next. Um, but the the action actually starts following around Toga um, because Shigaraki points out or, or gets told that the actual leader of the MLA is back in this tower um, that is well beyond where they are now. So Shigi is like, well, off to the tower then. And Toga's like, that's something that I'm good at because that's what she does. She's an infiltrator. Um, but as she's making her way in that direction, the very ground beneath her feet begins to explode. Yeah, and we see this woman that is literally blue show up, and she starts questioning Toga. Like, I mean, it seems very much so all, right off the bat, like an interview. And she even goes to the extent of saying, like, she wants to interview Toga. She wants to know why Toga went mad, like what caused her to be the Toga we see today. As she's like exploding things around Toga and sending other, uh, I'm going to call them villagers. That's not the right word, though. Other minions MLA minions, yeah. Uh, other MLA minions after her. And Toga's just like, no. And then we, we transition over to seeing Girin, who is talking to Redestro. And he says, hey, look, you made two mistakes. The first one was making me a damsel in distress. He's, he's like, I'm old, no one cares, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, though, they do. I mean, the whole, like, LOV showed up to, to get Girin back. Even if that's not Shigaraki's intent, it's at least twice's. Uh, but then he says, number two, the Nomus will absolutely destroy this city. And Redestro's like, well, hold up. The Nomus won't be released. I have three reasons why. So I've got one up on you. He explains that the three reasons that he's not worried at all about the Nomu in particular is because one, as he holds up fingers in succession, is that since Kamino, the Nomus have not really ever been seen, except for two, that high performance one that uh, fought with Endeavor in Kyushu. But the only thing that might have been noteworthy about it was the fact that it could replicate itself using the little white Nomus, but they were trash. They were cannon fodder. They were weak. And so three, Dobby was there to collect that black Nomu precisely because Redestro believes that there are no others, that thus the need to retrieve that one, even though it was in uh, not great shape. Um, so he he correctly identifies that their support goods from All for One. Um, and he says, you know, they've they've done enough not to they, they haven't done anything to be able to use these things freely anymore. They don't they don't have enough of these things. Uh, to be able to just use them all willy-nilly. So he feels pretty confident that Nomu are not going to come onto the scene. Yeah, the one thing I really liked about that too is that he noted that the Nomu always show up with the League when they do show up. And the fact that the League are here without the Nomu already kind of just keyed him in on that. So I'm like, oh, that's that's really great. And then he calls the League of Villains nothing more than a club. He's like, yeah, yeah. they're like a breakfast club. <laughs> yeah, without the Nomu, he feels like the MLA way outclasses the LOP. Absolutely, which I think makes sense. I mean, this guy's like, I mean, he is the head of a very, very top secret army, basically, of, that, that like holds thousands of people together 
and they're all operating in the dark. And the League of Villains are these like five or six people that are just super loud. You know what I mean? Everyone knows about the League of Villains. Um, so, but we transition back over to this scene with who we find out her name is Kazuki, I believe. Uh, and yeah, Ch- Kazuki, Chitose. Ch- Chitose. Yeah. And uh, she is talking about how the dormant liberation warriors train every single day and they're doing everything that they can to keep their part, their quirks in check, but also lead what she calls a normal life. And uh, we find out that her like code name is Curious. Uh, that's one of the ones or one of the ways that the rest of the Metal Liberation Army refer to her as. As she's assaulting Toga, she's telling her about how like the the Metal Liberation Army isn't in the news. Just to kind of back up the point I made about the fact that you know he is the head of this like super top secret organization. Almost, you know, she's like, look, the 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 MLA, we're not in the news anywhere. But you you probably are. You are this murderer. Like that, you know, you there are all these headlines out there about you. There are documentaries about you and. You know, it turns out we, we find a little bit more kind of about what happened to Toga in this episode. And so uh, the, the Kazuki or Curious is reminiscing about being a reporter and wanting to interview Toga and kind of make this like the report of her lifetime, I guess, as Toga throws a knife through the person standing next to her or a scalpel, I suppose, which makes me wonder, like, why didn't Toga just throw that at her? You know, it's that's fair. She had an opening. What what Chitose is doing here is pretty interesting, too. It gets to some of the MLA's frustrations with the League of Villains. And you're right that it's spotlight. But, you know, th- their biggest problem with it is the MLA has a history of getting ready for this big event that's yet to come, you know. Uh, but the League of Villains just suddenly pops up and totally steals the spotlight and is somewhat in competition and so the MLA is like, you didn't even earn the spotlight. Like, we have been working on this for decades, literally. Uh, and then you guys are just a bunch of upstart chumps, so we're going to squash you so that we can continue doing our thing. But she takes a particular interest in Toga's story because she basically sees in Toga this, like, poster child for why the MLA is pursuing its specifically stated goals. And I think that that's a really interesting uh, kind of angle to approach all of this stuff. There's a there's a part in here at some point. I don't know that it happens exactly right here where uh, the, the, she's she's kind of talking about how Toga's Toga's pursuit of normal of just being able to do what it is that sh- is normal for her to do is exactly what the MLA has in mind. And so she's this tragic story for being on the other side of that line where she feels repressed and has as a result had to mask up essentially in order to just operate in society and even then she's not doing that because she's criminalized right yeah absolutely and you know it's around this time that i think that togo shoots up out of this attack and she's like trying to transform uh that you know she's been chased into this building pretty much and she's she's trying to transform into someone around her she's plugged up to all these different folks and she's trying to absorb their blood so that way she can escape effectively but with Kazuki's quirk, she's able to explode the blood that Toga ingested, which is like insane. Like, and they're not powerful explosions. It doesn't sound like from what the the quirk detail we got was, but still, like, I can't believe that Toga's even in one piece after that happened. Yeah, and it's pretty violently depicted in the manga and in the anime. Yeah, they did a good job this time around. I figured that maybe the backlash from that last episode they took all the violence out of. Maybe they were like, all right, we'll we'll give them a little bit of blood on these episodes. I will say, though, that in the manga that Toga actually calls the little device that she wears with the needles, she calls it the on-the-go suck-suck mask, <laughs> <laughs> That's which awful. is kind of great. You don't get that in the anime. 
on the go. Um, but yeah, Chitose like explains that these minions are even willing to become bombs in order for the MLA to uh, to to achieve their ends. And she gets into a lot of the background of Toga, which we don't want to gloss over too much because I think it's pretty important to some of the stuff that comes up. Um, so she kind of is retreading, resharing uh, what it what her story is so she's the oldest daughter of her family but uh she's been missing since her middle school graduation she talks about these interviews with her parents and her classmates who were like oh she was so cheerful and obedient but she she threw away this quote-unquote normal life because she was deviant in some specific ways so she was seen as a middle schooler she cuts one of her classmates really badly um and is caught like with a straw sucking up this kid's blood. I think the kid's name was Saito or Saida. Um, in the manga, it looks exactly like Deku. Like, it's un- it's uncanny. I don't know if you um, bothered to read uh, the manga, but the, there's a panel showing the student that she ends up murdering, and it's a profile, um, and it's not, uh, it's not a silhouette. So you can see details of this kid. It looks exactly like Deku. So I wonder if oh, that that's has... crazy. Yeah, some roots for why it is that she finds herself as attracted to... Uh, Midoriya as she is. I'm sure it's not just physical, like just um, the the similarities between this this first human kill probably of hers because we know that she killed a bird before then. Right. But anyway, in, in a part of all this, you know, her parents are like, we can't atone enough. They're not even talking to the press in person. They're talking through a little speakerphone. Um, but it's they were like, she, it just wasn't any good. She was a demon child. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and she's holding out. They show this scene where she is, a, as a child, has got this tiny baby bird and it's dead. And you can see where she is bitten into it and ingested some of its blood. And she's just holding it up to her parents and kind of proud of it, you know, and showing it its beauty. Um, but one of the things that we know about Toga is that these things that she loves are the things that she wants to ingest or that she becomes fixated on. And so it started with this, you know, this bird that she found beautiful, um, that she, that she loved and, and was proud of and wanted to show her parents. Um, and then obviously the targets evolve from there. Well, and, and whenever she's talking about all this and we're getting all this background she says something like you know why did you throw away this normal life and kazuki claims to understand toga's pain and she wants to know why toga went insane this way and and toga gives this like really creepy look i mean for once we actually kind of see i'm gonna say the deviant or like almost a demon look in her eyes and she's like well what is a normal life you know and she like she's almost like she doesn't even really know and then she agrees that the mla is trying to build a beautiful world um, and, and she's trying to, I think, like, reconcile with the fact that, like, Curious or Kazuki's not really wrong. Like, what the MLA wants is probably would be super beneficial to Toga. But she's already serving Shigaraki, so... She's in a weird place um, in relation to both groups, I think. She is attracted to or she understands the beauty or, I guess, the direction of the MLA's goals... Um, but she can't quite bring herself to side with them. Um, and sh- she goes on the attack again, and she's already been blown to hell and back. I mean, she's she's had not only blood in her body that she was ingesting explode, but the, the floor beneath her feet all up and down the streets and through alleys. So she's ragged. I mean, she is just covered, not just in the blood of the victims that she tried to uh, uh, to transform into, but in her own blood. But she still attacks Chitose and Chitose like has this ring on her hand that's like a detonarat ring that she deploys and it like blasts Toga point blank in the face. Um, and it's wild. I mean, it looks 
violent. It, it blocks one of uh, Toga's daggers and then just blows up straight in her face. There's there's this difference that Chitose begins speaking to. She says there's no difference between your normal and the MLA's goals. You can become a human pillar proving the MLA's ideas and you'll be written about in this modern holy book. Um, she's almost holding Toga up as this, you know, par exemplance. You know, this is why we're to going after the, our goals. And there's even this crazy scene in the anime where it's depicted almost like a Renaissance painting, like artistically, yeah. like like the Madonna or something like that, um, kind of further emphasizing. And, and there was a bit, I think I skipped over this earlier, so I apologize, where um, Redestro is explaining to her, facts aren't going to do it. If we're trying to win people on our side, it's going to be with a story. And I think Chitose sees in Toga that story. And um, all of the MLA members seem to be pretty well familiar with each of the members of the League of Villains, at least as far as they know. Absolutely. I would say like so far, the MLA is very theatrical. You know, they're very big on the drama behind everything and the like importance and the reasoning and like the fact that there is a story is what people are going to attach and love about us. It's not that we're just telling what people want to hear. We're showing them like it's really they're really big into the um, uh, I'm going to say the theatrics. There's a word I want to use, but it's not coming to me. Uh, but anyways, as Toga is trying to get out of this situation, she grabs another vial of blood that she has. She's going to try and transform, and she actually does get this one off. She transforms into a Chaco, and she's just getting the crap beat out of her. I mean, I, I feel bad for Toga, really. Like, I know she's a villain, but she's in the middle of, like, a 10-ring, you know, person beat-up, basically. Like, they're just tossing her back and forth between each other. And uh, it's crazy, because Toga's having this moment where she's like, I want to be more like the people I love. And she's talking specifically about Ochako and she almost starts like, I don't want to say praying to herself, but like believing in herself or something and asking to have a little bit more than she does. And she's able to utilize Ochako's quirk and she sends uh, Kazuki or curious flying off. And then she's able to stand up and like ping pong her way back and forth between all of the different members of the MLA minions around her and since all of them like flying straight up into the air, it's it's really cool. So like last second, she gets this really big upgrade, really, in and being able to use the quirk of whoever's blood she's ingested. Which at first I was like, wow, that's a pretty big leap. But the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Like she's already ingesting their DNA and and using it to change her appearance. It makes sense that that quirk would be hard coded into the DNA somewhere. So she should yes. be able to access that, right? I, I agree. And I think that there are contextual clues inside of this particular scene that let us know that this was a shock to Toga. Oh, yeah. Like in the anime in particular, but it's also um, depicted well in the manga where she's basically holding that hand up in defense of herself. Basically, just, you know, what we do reflexively when something's coming at us that we don't want to actually intercept us, we throw a hand or two up. And she does that right as Chitose fires off that uh, the little ring thing again. And that that defensive move becomes an offensive one that startles her. Like she didn't know that she was going to have access to Ochako's quirk. But I will agree with you that I think that it makes all of the sense that because she is ingesting DNA, which is the codified blueprint, basically, it's simple that way, but um, the, the blueprint of, of any human being that she would reasonably have always had access somehow to these quirks and may have just been unaware of it. And maybe it is, you know, I think one of the ex explanations that gets thrown out in this episode and possibly in the next one too, is just that these times of desperation almost unlock this, this ability, but it's always been there. It's not like 
this is an evolution. Uh, I think what I called it, or the comparison that I made before we started recording, was it's not like a secondary mutation in X-Men. This is inherent in the word of her original quirk. There is room for this. There's no addendum where it's just like, oh, and now it also does this thing, which is brand new and not tangential at all. It's like, no, this that's a that's a reasonable um, place to take this quirk without having to change what it was in the first place. So I really, I really liked that. Yeah, the one thing I am interested in, and I hope that they expand on it, but it wouldn't surprise me if they don't. You know, it seems like with every increase in a quirk, we should also see some sort of an additional drawback. So if this is some sort of like super move, I'd like to see how it affects her. You know, does it mean that she? And I, I feel like we maybe kind of see it in this episode because the moment after she finishes using uh, Ochako's quirk, it's like part of that Ochako skin falls off and she kind of becomes Toga again. I wonder if it just shortens the length of time that she can utilize that person's DNA or something. That'd be kind of a quick, cool, quick, easy way to, to clean that quirk up, you know? That would make some sense to me, although the way that they visually depicted this was a tiny bit confusing because... Her quirk has always been one of transformation, so it's not like a skin. Yeah. It's not like a facade or a mask. But I think that the reason that they showed it this way is specifically because Chitose referred to her wearing a mask. Like, I think that it's just a tie back to that particular um, phrasing that Chitose used. Um, Because you can still see that, like, there's still a transformation here. Like, if you look at her her teeth in particular, like, the toga half, quote-unquote, of the face has still got the pointy teeth, and Ochakos are still normalized. So it's more than a facade. Um, It is deeper than skin deep, her transformation is, at least. Um, But I think that the way that they depicted it here made sense from a literary standpoint given some of the things that were said prior to it for sure and i think it totally uh catches chitose off guard as well because as she's floating up in the air she's like but your quirk profile only said you could transform into your victims and then and then toga just puts her hands together just like ochako does which makes me go like wow like she's seen her do the quirk before i guess so it makes sense but but it's cool that she's just literally like one for one trying to replicate her and she brings all these people down and we just see these like blood guys go up in the air <laughs> in the anime she turns her back to it but in the manga she's facing it oh wow that's an interesting choice i wonder why they chose to to make her not see that in the anime i don't know maybe it was the equivalent of like people walking away from the explosion you know maybe without looking back <laughs> um, yeah. but she loves blood it makes it all makes the sense that she would be sense. turning around and seeing all of this totally yeah Well, we transition over to see Spinner and Shigaraki, who are being chased down by like a buttload of the MLA members. And uh, Dobby, or no, sorry, it's not Shigaraki, it's Dobby in this this particular scenario. And it's funny because uh, Spinner is just like, man, every time we take down one, more show up. And Dobby just goes, you haven't taken down any. You've not killed any of them. It's all been me, as he like catches a whole bunch on fire. Uh, And then as he's blowing things up, Twice is there, and he realizes Toga's gone, and so he's like, oh god, we gotta go find Toga now, too. So he runs off. Uh, And we see Toga, like, in a shed of some kind, like, back behind a house, and she is absolutely messed up. Like, on the ground, crawling, blood coming out everywhere, following her, there's a whole trail of blood. Uh, and she's she's talking about Shigaraki's goals and kind of his his viewpoint, and, and she says, you know, the things we hate should be destroyed, right, Tomura? And then we transition back over to Shigaraki being chased by a whole group of MLA members. Yeah, and he's in this weird sleep-deprived state. He's kind of hallucinating. He's talking about the effects of sleep deprivation. 
Um, and also lots of quirk use. We know that he's been busy against Gigantomachia for what what did we decide like a month and a half wasn't it it's a long a, time it it's been like longer a, than that i think it was three months yeah that it was might like a be three right. month it's, jump yeah yeah long long time where he's just only been able to sleep when gigantomachia was sleeping and otherwise um which was only like three hours every 48 or something like that which is crazy like i don't it know is. that you could even physically do that i don't know i didn't jump deep into the science but i do know you can you can quite literally die if you don't get sleep after a certain period of time that's only like five days i think i think it's like five to seven days of no sleep and you could die so i like how there we get the return of video game language again which i love about shigaraki because he says i know my body's glitchy right now yeah that's Um, awesome (laughs) he he has this flashback that he can't recall happening um where uh, a young girl presumably i'm gonna guess his sister uh, provides him with a picture of pr- what I am going to assume is young Shigaraki, who is being clutched by Nana Shimura. And um, he says, all I remember is how I felt. And it was a- like a weight had been lifted off of my chest. So why was that, he says. And um, you hear somebody saying, the the little girl saying, I'm fine, I'm rooting for you, Tenko. Uh, and then he kind of dusts this entire group that's been pursuing him. And he does... The whole group at once. One of the coolest things about these two or these several chapters actually in the manga is there are a lot of two page spreads and they're all super cool. And this is one um, where he's he jumps up on this wall as he's being pursued and he places his hand on the face of uh, the lead pursuer, but manages to ash the entire group of them. And I would guess there's probably I mean, you might be able to take a minute and count in the manga, but there's probably 50 people 40 people in this group that he just dusts instantly and spinner takes notice of it immediately yeah because spinner is like oh wow he just got rid of all of them and they weren't you know he wasn't touching all of them individually and that's that's unique uh so and again i think that that's a natural that makes sense to me um for shigaraki's quirk to be able to do that i always thought it was a little strange that his quirk knew where one body ended and something else began um, so I guess now I, I guess he has to have, he has to be more mindful of it. Like if he, t- if he ashes somebody and he doesn't want to start disintegrating the sidewalk below them, h- how does he, how does he draw the line mentally if he can push beyond it with his quirk? That makes sense. It does make sense. And it almost makes me wonder if like, you know, because he is in dire straits, but also because he's so tired, like he's just so exhausted, he was hallucinating and he saw all of them as like one blob. So there was that part of me that goes like, okay, it makes sense that they were all touching each other and he touched one of them. Therefore, he was able to disintegrate all of them. But what if it's also that mental part where he saw all of them as one kind of being this blob thing? And so his brain made this association of they're all related. Therefore, I can kill all of them with one touch. Like they're all one thing or one object uh, instead of it being multiple objects. But I don't know. We'll be we'll see, I guess, like if he's able to pull this off again when he's not super tired and hallucinating then maybe i think we'll know a little bit more about the limitations yeah and i think that was the biggest problem that i had with his quirk and his his quirk quote-unquote power up was the one that i was the least comfortable with i guess because we know that quirks are draining to utilize he's already on the brink of exhaustion like absolute exhaustion and everybody in the league of villains knows this um, and yet he's able to do this like new turbo move basically um, in that particular state felt like a little bit of a stretch. But again, I think they're leaning on 
the, the desperate times equals desperate measures uh, kind of mentality. And the way that you described it a second ago made me think of the way that the teleporter pods used to work in the movie The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Um, so in, in that movie, if you put something inside of the telepod, it would transfer it into the second one, right? It wouldn't transport the inside of the telepod because it was able to distinguish this item from everything else, right? But if you put two things in there, that computer decided that those two things were actually one. And so it did teleport those two things over together because that's how it that's how it calculated. And so the way that you described him kind of envisioning that mass as one, uh, it kind of has uh, a, a parallel to that particular the way that the science worked inside of those pods. Hadn't thought about it that way. The, the interesting thing, too, with what you bring up is that we really haven't seen Shigaraki use his power like back to back to back to back. And, and we haven't seen that for most of the League of Villains. Right. So we don't really know what their limitations are. Like, does Mr. Compress have a limitation? Like, what is his drawback? What does his quirk drain from him? You know what I mean? Yeah, we know of limitations to some of their quirks like Dobby burns himself. And we, that becomes plot relevant here shortly. Toga has a limited amount of time during which she can be uh, or embody or be transformed as the other person. And it's reliant upon how much of the blood that she ingests. Um, but I don't know that we've had similar lines drawn for Compress or for Shigaraki that right. I'm aware of. Well, and Compress so, yeah. was just kind of like an example because his quirk is so unique. I mean, there's got to be some sort of drawback there, but we just haven't seen it yet. Uh, but speaking of Dobby, we do transfer over to Dobby, who is getting attacked by an ice cork. How fitting, right? Yeah, he's fighting one half of the ice climbers. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what this kid looks like. He does. That's awesome. I didn't even put that together until just now. <laughs> yeah, this guy's name is Gedton, uh, and he he does look exactly like the the male version of the ice climber. And it's really cool. Dobby has this line where he apparently was within eyesight of seeing Shigaraki dust all these folks were so he's like well if he can kill people then I can kill people because I'm really not good at not killing people <laughs> yeah. um, but the ice climber guy uh, descends on him you know ex again expresses that the MLA knows who they're up against he says I'm targeting you down because you're the only one with a ranged attack and then he says this which I thought was telling of of what else he knew he said why won't you use your flames right away are you waiting for something or is there something wrong with your meta ability? And that's him kind of bitingly saying, I know exactly why you're not using your flames because it's going to burn your ass when you do. Yeah. Um, but he's still going to bait that out. Um, and so he's being very tongue in cheek. And, and so he's like, oh, I'm going to use my ice. I can control ice, blah, blah, blah. I've been training since I was a kid. I didn't even go to school. And Dobby's like, well, you know, maybe if you think that I didn't know that you controlled ice, maybe you didn't remember that ice melts flames. And so they get in this big fight. And at, at this point, Compress is trying to make sense of the entire battle scene because Dobby is kind of overdoing it and he's almost uh, participating in some friendly fire. <laughs> yeah, no joke. I mean, he's got the whole so, battlefield lit up. So Compress is like telling him to keep it down. Um, and then he's like, OK, let's recap. Dobby's over there and Spinner and Shiggy were seen, seen over in that direction. And then Toga ran off and he can't find twice. Um, but twice has made his way to Toga, begins to wipe away some of the blood um, that is on her face. And he it's it's going to be impossible for us to keep track with all of Twice's dialogue in these two episodes. Oh, my God. No joke. <laughs> because normally it's just like one pithy line here or there. In the next episode, there's literally thousands of them talking back and forth. We're just not going to attempt. So just trust that there is back and forth twice dialogue going on here. And if it's important, I think uh, I will highlight it. But um, 
He used the handkerchief that she gave him, I think, during the Shiei Saikai camp, uh, compound raid. Um, and they're, they're being watched. In fact, they even know whose backyard that this particular shed is in. Because, again, the MLAs use this as kind of like a, it's one of their cities that they have the greatest amount of influence in. I think it said like 90 or 98 percent of the city was um, MLA sympathetic. And uh, so they were like, all right, this bird, they're at Edeka's shed, and she's still alive, so we need to make sure that she's dead for Curious's sake, which is just retributive, I guess. Um, but they want to keep Twice alive because they believe that Twice will be able to make Redestro um, invincible or, uh, or eternal or both. Um, and so what's really crazy about this scene is that this this particular character whose name we don't learn this episode don't think we do i think it's the beginning um, of the next episode yeah okay um and shoot what is his name a he's skeptic. the feel good ink guy skeptic yep, that's skeptic it. yeah he looks like a he's looks straight off of the gorillas album um and i think <laughs> he does i might have even pointed out in our last episode if i didn't it was in my notes that he's standing in front of a sign that says feel good ink at some point in one of the previous two episodes oh is he really that's awesome i didn't yeah. notice that so he sends, he's able to create puppets out of anything that he wants uh, that are people-sized. And he sends these puppets after twice that look like Jin Bubagawara, like look like him, which is twisted as hell. Yeah, that's um, super But I really like up. that as an idea. It's so dark. Like, it, you got to feel bad for twice. It's just horrible. Uh, but they're explaining that twice is like the exact opposite of Toga in a way, because they say that to live as a human, he liberated his meta powers, and that drove him nuts. Uh, and so they're like, but you know what? We're going to convince him to join us. So they, they absolutely want to have twice. And the and last this thing... is another cool two page spread in this manga where like they bisect twice his face. So like one half of it on the far right, one half is on the far left. And in between is a bunch of the puppets that look like him without the mask on. Oh, that's it's cool. such a cool two page spread. Holy crap. It's this. There's so many in these two episodes worth of manga chapters you have to read these they're so so well illustrated that's really cool like the end of this episode is him basically being pinned down by all of these puppets which is just kind of be mortifying and they're like grabbing toga away from him uh then we and ripping his mask off yeah so he's beginning to split apart uh and i think he even says at the end of this episode he's like i'm losing my mind i'm gonna split apart more than ever that is the end of 109 leads us into 110 which is called sad man's parade and we pick up right where we left off. I mean, it starts off with those puppets pulling that mask off and him just being like absolutely unconsolable. He's not able to really put anything together. He's losing his mind. And it turns out that the MLA was able to get twice his psych profile from the, the data that uh, Giran had locked down. So it's all of his client data that they were able to crack. And I think even Giran makes a mention of like how messed up it is that they're using that against him. And Twice starts freaking out because the, he's watching himself try to kill Toga. And so he's losing his mind because he's like, what am I doing? Why, is that really me? Who am I? Am I real? Like, am I the real one? What's going on? And he's really not sure if it's him or not or, or what's happening. And, and so he's just like, I, you know, about to split apart. And then we get the awesome intro that I love. Uh, and when we come back in, we get like, a whole twice background episode again. I mean, it feels a yes. lot like the other episode that I think I once mentioned was probably my favorite episode of my hero. This one's easily in my top five. Like this episode stole the spot in the top five for another one for sure. I yes, love this episode. 
it is his background and also just the way that this episode plays out is so fascinating and well done. Yeah, I agree. So we pick up, um, I think in the previous flashback that we caught up with him, he had already had the split and he was already an older guy. But we this flashback, he's 16. Um, he was in custody for running somebody over, broke this dude's arm, cost him his first job. And he just kind of began to spiral away from there because he didn't have any family. And yeah. so this is when he starts making dupes of himself just to have somebody to talk to that he can trust and that trusts him back is basically how he describes this. Well, and he he says something that I think was so neat here because it's true of people in real life too. And I think it's so sad like to see it happen. And we're getting to see it happen in his life where he's he's talking to this. I don't know if it was a lawyer or an officer, but the guy is like, ah, you made a mistake. You're you're gonna be fine. You know, you sometimes you stumble, you just pick yourself back up. And and Jen says, well depending on how you stumble, some people just keep falling. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this poor guy. <laughs> yeah. And so it begins with um, him being by himself and then having one dupe. And then he says that the the one thing that people that are, uh, you know, that, whose lives are spiraling out of control, the thing that they want is comfort. And so he creates all these clones in the and sends them out to go and obtain for him comfort, which uh, effectively paints him as a criminal because he's going and he's stealing the things that he wants to live this this lush and comfortable life. Yeah. Um, so he they're stealing money. He says he didn't realize his mistake until he'd fallen as far as he could go. Uh, and, and this is where he he says something along the lines of, I found that I couldn't even trust myself, which I thought was a great line. And we're... Uh, get shown that scene where he's strapped to the chair and all of the dupes that he had made had killed themselves and he saw all of that. And what's noteworthy about this particular scene that I don't think I ever paid attention to before, but I want to talk about maybe at the end of this episode if we've got some time. I have a feeling that this episode's going to be long, not only because we're at minute 43 and we (laughs) had just barely started to a 110, but because there's a lot in these two episodes. Yeah, there is. Um, But I noticed that in addition to the dupe goop, which I'm going to Petition now is the uh, title of this episode. Dupe Goop. Goop. <laughs> um, in addition to the Dupe Goop in this scene, this massacre of all the dupes is blood. And I have a curious thought about that for later, but not for now. Okay. So we transitioned from him seeing himself kill all the other hymns. That's how I wrote it in my notes. Uh, to him sitting at a table wearing a paper bag and he's talking to Girin. And Girin, like, he's, he's lit, lights a cigarette up and he's got this face that I feel like. If it was any other manga, he would just be like, well, that's effed up, man. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, he just seems so like, wow, that really sucks. And uh, he, he's like, you know, what you really need is is someone else that gets you, someone that's like you. And uh, so he, he ends up hooking him up with the, now we know, the League of Villains. And uh, we find out that he, like in this scene, he's explaining that his clones do disappear after enough damage. And it's about a, this equivalent of, I guess, like, pressure or broken arm yeah pain as a broken arm uh, like a human adult male broken arm is what he says it's really specific i feel like uh um, yes but we transition back into this scene and it's two of the puppets are holding him from like going to get toga and they either break his arms or break his shoulders i would assume a broken arm since he was that specific with it but uh whenever he does that he realizes like holy cow, it's the real me. Like, it's actually me. Yes. It's so cool because he, he says, like, I've been going so long without trying to get hurt or be hurt so that way I wouldn't accidentally disappear. But I realize that this hurts so much. This has to be the real me. And the moment that happens, it's like game on for twice because now he realizes it, it's just him. He can do whatever he wants. And he just, he duplicates himself 
a billion and one times, it seems like, blows all these puppets away, and then he starts going after Toga. And we get this quick, like, quirk explanation where he is explaining that, like, each of his duplicates are just a little bit more fragile than the last, uh, but they can be duplicated. And he does need extra data if he's doing other duplication. So they show him trying to duplicate the Yakuza bullets or the quirk-killing bullets, and he's like, well... I don't really know the chemical makeup. I don't have enough data to know, so I can't replicate these. But that's how he kind of got in with the League of Villains, which makes sense. That's really cool. Yeah, I loved the the realization that he had. Yeah, I mean, me it, too. It, it, it ties right back to that flashback with Garen where he's like, basically, if they suffer the equivalent of a broken arm, well, then he gets not one broken arm, but two. And he's like, oh, I must be the real one because I'm still here. I thought that was a really cool way of, of communicating that. And... Um, Giran also mentions, he was like, listen, uh, you with your quirk, you are on the national wanted list because you could basically take down the country. And then right once he realizes that he's the real one, he starts popping off a bunch of dupes and could easily, I mean, he's just throwing, I mean, there's tens of thousands of these guys. I would, I, I might argue well, yeah. um, in this particular episode, just running all over the place. And he explains during his quirk explanation that he can, he can make two, but his clones also have access to the quirk. So each one of them can also make two and it just goes on and on and on. It's like a crazy multiplicative pay it forward only with like clones and a lot more goop. And he has decided that he wants to repay the league of villains for accepting him. Like that's, and I think it's so cool. Like we're starting to see this real recognition of friendship among the LOV. And I think that's awesome. Uh, so he's releasing waves upon waves of doubles, and he calls it the Sad Man's Parade, which is where we get our episode title from. And I thought that was awesome. And they uh, said the thing, yeah, exactly. And uh, we, we, I guess, I think it's Girin that's like, oh wow, he overcame his psychological trauma. He's going to be unstoppable now. Like you guys have no idea what you've done. And uh, Redestro asks Skeptic, he's like, so what's it like to fail? And Skeptic is weird. Like, he's just like, I have only ever failed once. And then he goes to the elevator and it's like, he's going to go address the situation on his own. I don't know. It was, this whole bit was just kind of strange to me. Like, we get a quick aside for why? I don't know. And then we go back to Dobby fighting (laughs) the ice guy. Yeah, I I just had a couple quick notes about that scene. Um, The first one was that, uh, if it's explained that every dupe that he makes gets successively weaker, then you would always, you would always want to send the later ones out to the front line, right? Or oh, the yeah. earliest ones, the stronger ones to the front line. Right. Um, I guess there's an argument to be made for for either it way. It depends on are you Magneto or are you Charles Xavier? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that something is going to be made of skeptics. Little, I've only failed once in my whole life. Uh, line and then I like when Garen says, "Well, if he's out of his bindings, he can do anything. He'll overcome you with numbers." And I, I wrote in my notes, I said, "Infinity is greater than one hundred and sixteen thousand. Yes, that math checks out." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's funny too, because because uh, Redestro is like, "Well, you may have us beat by numbers, but what about quality?" <laughs> like he's all about it's quality over quantity, man. As he boasts his numbers. <laughs> I also made this observation. I don't know that it'll stick. I'm just wild guessing. You're wild guessing, but I noticed pretty good lately. I know. Well, that's probably indicative that what I'm about to say is absolutely <laughs> baseless and wrong. But um, I noticed in this scene when Redestro is talking and he's seeing Twice's new abilities, not, not and again, not new. It's, this has always been his power. He's just had this mental block. So it's not like he's doing something that he couldn't always do. 
you know, um, it's like the same for all three of these quote unquote power ups. They all fit well within the original quirk. Nothing brand. It's not like something has been tacked on as far as I'm concerned for any of yeah, them. Yeah, I agree. But um, the little weird shadowy birthmarky thing on the side of his face grows. Yeah. In this particular scene and the way that it grew and the in the place that it grew, it made me think of like in Dragon Ball Z, sometimes when people get frustrated or particularly angry or even annoyed that that one vein will pop up right there as like (laughs) a visual cue of i'm frustrated and i wonder if that is what's going on here if like his quirk has something to do with his emotional state somehow because so far we've only ever seen him be cool calm and collected um and and we see him exercise his quirk a little bit later on when he's a little more riled uh, and so I don't know, maybe See, it has something to do with him being agitated. To me, it reminded me a lot more of the uh, mark that Orochimaru puts on. Uh, oh, what's his name? Sasuke. Yeah, curse mark. Yeah, the curse mm-hmm. mark where like as he's using his powers, it starts to grow aco- across Sasuke's body. I assume yeah. it was kind of the same here where like maybe it's not tied to emotions, but as he uses his quirk, it envelops his body in some kind of way because we do see it start to do that more as we see him throughout this episode. So, yes. yeah, I, I agree with you. There's definitely some correlation there. Uh, but we, we transition over to see Dobby. He's still fighting off this ice guy. And according to Dobby, most of the ice is already gone. Like, he's melted a lot of it. But in the last episode, I say the ice guy. His name's Gatan. But he, he was riding this massive ice dragon. So a lot's happened in the last minute that we didn't get to see, I guess, where he's melted a whole bunch of ice. And Mr. Compress is like, well, hey, if you got your stuff handled, how about you help out over here? And Dobby's like, no, nah, I don't think I will. And at first, Mr. Compress is like, bro, really? And, and Dobby explains, like, well, no, how about you ask those guys? And he points over to the right, and there's, like, an entire alleyway full of twice as doubles who are totally there to help and wanting to, like, you know, fix things up. And, and I think Mr. Compress is like, how did you do that? What are you doing? Like, are you sure about this? And, he, and twice says, love and courage fixed everything. Which I thought was great. And so he's explained to them, like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm over my traumatic drama. Everything that's happened, we're all, we're all, we're all good here. And uh, so he's, he is going to save the day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and he, it was unclearer to me in the anime, um, or at least it was much clearer in the manga here, where he's continuing to create these dupes. And when he catches up to Dobby and Mr. Compress, he's like, oh, uh, I'm kind of stupid. Why Why am I doubling myself when I could be making doubles of you? Right. Um, because we know, too, that when he creates dupes of other people, so long as he knows them and knows how they work, that they can utilize those quirks because we've seen him do that with Dobby a couple times at the summer camp. So he's creating more offensive characters. So he creates a whole bunch of the League of Villains in general to take out the MLA. But then Mr. Compress gets onto him and he's like, hey, slow it down. Because if you do that, right. we won't have enough of the uh, Meta Liberation Army to take on Gigantomachia. Which is when I was like, okay, screw the MLA at this point. Like, just go take on Gigantomachia. Like, if <laughs> he could just duplicate everybody that many times, why didn't they do that to begin with? This seems like a th- moot point. Well, I think the very next thing that happens explains why. Because again, all of these dupes get progressively more squishy and weaker. And yeah. so all this ice erupts from underneath the ground. And um, I like I like this way better in the uh, in the anime where twice is just yells my knees, yeah. um, <laughs> which is which is awesome. He calls them his doubles in the manga, which is significantly less funny. Yeah. Um, but we we find out that Genten is able to um, control ice, including its temperature. So he basically sent a chip of ice down into the water pipes, the mains froze it all and significantly increased his his pool of resources. Wow. But he was leading Tabi to believe 
that he was running out of ice because he specifically said, I can control ice, which is still true, um, while making Dobby burn through to his quirk's physical limits where he's starting to sizzle. And he even points that out. He says, listen, in the future, the MLA is aiming for the strength of someone's meta ability will be directly linked to social status. So increasing your meta ability will be the same as living. And here's the here's the thing, man. You are starting to smell like burnt meat. So being able to determine your ability's meta ability or your opponent's meta ability is the most basic of basics. And judging by your tattered skin, you won't be able to fight too long, will you? Well, and you know what? You totally described the way that he got the ice into those pipes way better than he did. Like the way I understood it was that he basically fed ice into all the pipes and then made it into water. And he had been concentrating on that like the whole time. Like the entire <laughs> city's... I literally have in my notes, I was like, this guy runs the entire city's water, like, period. Like, he, <laughs> I totally misunderstood that. You put it way better. Thank you, Adkins. In the manga, he literally just says, by shooting some ice into the water supply and cooling things down, I can extend my power to the water as well. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. I'm glad, yep. I'm glad that you've read, read up. I should have. Uh, well, after this, we switch back over to see the doctor who is awakening Gigantomachia and he kind of even like uses some of Shigaraki's terminology here because he says that they're cheating in going about doing things the way that they are. Yeah, a little bit of video game lingo. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so we catch up to Spinner and Shigaraki, who twice saves, actually both of them, uh, from being hit with a couple of ranged attacks. It looks like they were getting shot at by like a couple of people with like rocket quirks or something. And uh, Shigaraki actually asked twice to clear a route to the tower. Uh, and Shigaraki actually seems pretty like stoked for twice that he's kind of overcome his his trauma and like unlocked a little like the next level of his quirk it felt like uh but twice tells shigaraki like yeah get some sleep i'm gonna rock this out you'll be good and uh so he's he creates a uh clone of shigaraki this was kind of confusing i think in the anime but i think when i watched it a second time or maybe looked into the uh anime or into the manga that it made some more sense because this is where Spinner is like, isn't twice enough by himself. And in the anime, Shigaraki says, no, he likes Giren too much. But I think that that's slightly different in the manga that made just a tad more sense, where what Spinner asks is, I guess twice can handle it by himself. And Shigaraki says, it's because he's too fond of Giren, as if that's his motivation. That's why he can, not some poor motivation for why it is that he might not be able to which is kind of the vibe that i got from the anime's wording of things yeah no I, i'm right there with you well shigaraki does get upset with the meta liberation army in general because he's like you know i i cannot forgive these people for messing with with people's hearts like this isn't right and then the the politician from earlier hanabata shows up so he's making this really dumb meta liberation army symbol where he's got his his thumb pointed up against his forehead making an l which reminds me of that smash mouth song Somebody once told me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just looks dumb. I'm like, well, if you're going to make a symbol for yourself and you're supposed to be this big, intimidating, you know, uprising army that's going to take over the world, like, I don't know, come up with a cooler symbol. That's so not intimidating to me. <laughs> I don't know what this dude's quirk is, but I'm going to go ahead and say that if we were playing, if we were casting these guys in D&D, he would be a bard. Oh, absolutely. That, that he's just like bardic inspira inspirationing everybody. Yeah, because it seems like he's able to talk to the crowd into doing things, and he tells the crowd that it's time to get rid of their guests. 
talking about the League of Villains, and then right immediately afterwards, the entire like vicinity just starts attacking the League of Villains that are around, who I believe are just Spinner and Twice, like a bunch of the Twice doubles, basically. Uh, so yeah, this guy definitely controls crowds with his voice to some extent, but we've not gotten a write-up on him yet. No, we have not. He's not even confirmed his name. We're just calling him what one of the League of Villain members called him. So, uh, but we transition back over to Redestro, who is hanging out with Girin. I say hanging out like they're good old pals. Obviously not. Uh, Twice is in the elevator, and it's funny because I, I think Redestro was like, "Oh wow, you made it." I kind of didn't expect that, uh, but he ends up. I say he twice ends up creating a member of each League of Villains, who then ends up creating. Or he creates a double of himself who then creates a member of the League of Villains, and including Shigaraki. And so they've, he's got like basically the entire squad up there, and he's telling the copies, like, hey, you guys are copies. Don't worry. When you die, I'll, I'll bury you and everything. It's going to be great. You're going to be fine. And then they start questioning yeah, each other. They're like, well, you got to listen to him because he's the original. And then another double is like, he's not the original. I'm the original. And then the one that came up in the elevator says, stop fighting. It doesn't matter. None of this matters. Like, just get gear in. And somehow Redestro kills one of the doubles with like his finger. I don't, it looked like he just scooped his neck down basically. Yeah. And I love how one of the other twices is just like, see, I told you he was a double. Yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that was a good comedic beat in the middle of this giant fight. Yeah, and then Shigaraki takes over this sequence entirely, or the clone Shigaraki does, and he's like, "Hey, look, like we gotta, you know, we gotta get this guy taken care of." And and all, the entirety of the League of Villains that are up in this tower start to attack Redestro, but he like slaps them all down with a giant hand that takes out half the building and sends all of them flying. And in the background, we see there's like one last clone that makes another double. And then out of that double is uh, a twice that pops up and goes to save gear. And, and poor, poor Jen, like he's standing over his friend and he's like, oh, my God, they 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 literally cut all your fingers off your hand. It's your right hand. That's the hand you used to smoke your American spirits with. Like he's just freaking out. Uh, and then the, the Shigaraki clone shows back up and he almost gets Redestro, like just barely misses him. And yeah, if he didn't open his damn mouth, he might have been able to do this it. This whole but he thing would have been over himself. with. Yeah, like the whole Golly, fight. I hate it when villains talk themselves into inefficiency <laughs> or ineffective, ineffectiveness. I, I wanted to point out, too, before I let you keep going, that um, this is just a neat attention to detail. Not only is the right hand uh, gear and smoking hand, but it's also the hand that the MLA makes their sign with. And remember, they... Uh, uh, cut off his fingers right. and then positioned them into the sign at each of the little areas. I was like, dang, they even took the man's right hand to do the symbol that they make with the right hand. It's just cool attention to detail. Well, and what was really cool here too, whenever the they were showing Girin and uh, Jen Bubbaguara and the, I say his last name terribly, I apologize. Whenever they showed them at the beginning of the episode sitting in the diner and he's like opening a cigarette up to offer over to Twice, there's a symbol on his uh, cigarette box and it says a Mespi. And so I looked into that because I, I have worked in the tobacco industry for like 10 years. I've worked in cigar shops forever. I've sold American spirits forever. And uh, I was surprised to find that that is like a short name, I guess, for American spirits. And then when Twice brings it up later, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, that's a legit company. I'm surprised they were even able to use that, honestly. That is pretty cool. This is where we, once Shiggy misses his opening because he opened his mouth, Redestro takes this opportunity to fill him in and to give him a little bit of a test. And I thought he might've been talking about like a physical test. Like I'm gonna fight you and see what you're really made of. But then based on what he does, I was like, 
did you mean the kind of test where like he should have been taking notes and you're going to quiz him at the end? Yeah, right. (laughs) Because he goes in and he starts talking about there was this woman who gave birth to a child with a meta ability back when this was still brand new and there were strong prejudices. They were trying to stone this kid all the time. And uh, the woman's voice was trying to be heard as saying that this is my child's quirk. It's just a part of who he is. So make a world where my child can live freely. Um, but she never raises her voice again because she was killed by those who opposed meta powers. And as heroes and vigilantes grew more popular, the government started trying to rectify the situation. They dug up her appeal while working out the political measures. And so he says it changed how people thought the actual political measures that were implemented though, all suppressed meta abilities more than ever. There's no point in just changing the name, he says. It just made people avoid using their powers. So if if people can't use their powers, then it isn't true freedom. So he says, Destro thought that this isn't the future my mother would have wanted. Meta abilities must be able to be called quirks in the true sense. And he says, do you understand why Destro was wanted for so much, revolting against the country, true freedom, with his blood in my veins, I am re-Destro. So he says, do you really think a group of thugs wanting to destroy things carries a heavier weight than we do? Yeah, and I think, I I don't remember if it's here or earlier when Twice first showed up, but he talks about how they really shouldn't even be in the same ring against each other. Like, they're not even in the same tier at all. Yeah, it's right after he makes the first big swipe against all the dupes. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's, like I said, I I go back to what I said earlier, he's totally right. Like, this guy is kind of in another league, right? Uh, But this is when he's fighting Shigaraki, and he has, like, that black birthmark almost, like, taking over parts of his body. And then Shigaraki reaches out to Twice, and is just like, hey, uh, you need to protect Garen or cushion him or something. Because whenever he did his first attack, I was hanging off the window there, and I saw him. And the first thing he's going to do is touch this building. Because that's what I would do. And sure enough, we see the real Shigaraki walk up to the tower, put his hand on it, and just brings it down. Like, all at once. And uh, we we end this episode with him approaching Redestro, and it's just like, so, are you the boss? And Redestro looks pissed. <laughs> yeah, and he's just like... The last thing that he says in the anime and in the manga is, I guess I missed my chance to hear your answer. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was a chilling place to leave it, that that shadowy, cloudy, birthmarky thing is spread all the way across his face in a similar pattern to uh, what we saw of Destro or kind of like the Deadpool that we shall not speak of um, from the uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine movie. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Mm, yikes. And then the, the after credit scene for this particular episode is the League of Villain is counterattacking. Shigi begins to recall more of his past. Um, and then uh, this this next episode actually is going to be called Tenko um, Shimura Origin, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what next week's episode brings. I think uh, we've got a lot more to find out about these League of, League of Villain characters. Uh, and we've gotten so much cool stuff already. Like, I can't wait to find out a little bit more about these folks. So Agreed. now that we are at the end of our episode, we have talked about 109 and 110. Let's talk about, you know, we, we like to have our segment. We like to do a little something extra every episode. And recently, uh, there was a top 10 that came out of Vigilante characters where a whole bunch of folks got together and voted for their favorite characters. And this was the top 10. Um, and so Atkins and I decided we would do our own top 10. And originally, we were just going to combine ours and kind of like, you know, figure out like, hey, you know, let's agree, you know, this guy's number one, or maybe she's number three or something. But our top 10s were so different. I think we just decided to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 
the, the only reason why we're even doing this is because the official quote unquote top 10 it's just not right. <laughs> and so I was complaining about it in the discord and other people were like, yeah, what in the world? Why is this person there? And why isn't this person there? And I was like, that's it. I'm making my own top 10. <laughs> um, so he and I both came up with our own top 10s. Um, I think what we may do is I don't think that there's going to be a ton of surprises um, between ours, but for like, I have a question about a couple years. I'm sure you might have a couple questions about mine. Um, so how about I present my top 10 and you're free to ask questions at the end of it, and then you do the same, and I'll ask questions yeah, out there. Yeah, I think that sounds good to me. All right, in order. So rank one all the way down to rank 10. I have Koichi as one, Aizawa as two, Knuckle Duster as three, and Pop as four. That is the top four of the official um, top 10. I didn't mind that order. I thought that that was fine. In the fifth position, though, I have, I kind of cheated a little bit. Um, because I put the Hoda Bros, Kamayan, and Teruo all together, the little um, rehab cafe crew. I put them in my fifth spot. Sixth is Mikado. Seventh, Captain Celebrity. Uh, eighth is Ingenium. Ninth is Six. And then tenth is yeah. Soga. So you got any questions for why it is I have names that you might not, or why my position is different than yours? I'm really now shocked that Aizawa wasn't number one. Nah, man, this is this Koichi story. The only reason that Aizawa is as high as he is is in part because of his flashback material that I think significantly informs my hero stuff, which is why it was shocking to me that you put him at number 10 on your list. Yeah, spoiler alert. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I can see, like, I like Aizawa, but I think he's more of a supporting character in this one. So I tried to, like, because originally I was going to put Shirakumo uh, like out of the list entirely, but I feel like he has this like bright moment in general. And at first I was going to ask you like, you know, well, why do you have Ingenium on yours? But I've got Shirakuma on mine, so <laughs> I can't say a whole lot. Yeah. No, no, I think, I think Ingenium is in there again because it took a character who was supposed to be this, I mean, and still was in my hero proper, um, still was uh, an emotional plot point. Um, and we got to see a, of a lot of what informed Ida's reaction to that outside of, you know, family. But, you know, Ida's heroic perception of his brother gets filled in a lot where you you kind of see uh, in Vigilantes that hero isn't just wearing rose colored glasses when it comes sure. to his brother, that his brother was actually, an, you know, an up and up hero. I think when we were discussing Vigilantes, one of the big questions I have was what in the world was Stain's problem with this guy? outside of the fact that he has, uh, you know, a large team working for him. Um, because I only ever had good impressions of him. Like, he, he was he was doing the good boy thing. Uh, and so I, I, I wanted to include him on my list that for sense. that reason. But, you know, the other thing I saw, you included, like, the Hoda brothers, Kamiyana, Teruo, all together, but you didn't include our X-Men. What's that about, man? They, they, they could have been there on that list where you were cheating already. They could, yeah, they could have. I think that they, I, 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 yeah, they, you're right. You're right. You got me there. They're part of that little group. They're, I mean, come on. They, they would, they would be so upset to see that they are not on that list with those folks. It's true. <laughs> it's true that you, you got me there. I, I don't have any reasonable defense of, of, <laughs> of that particular point on my list, but let's hear yours. And then okay. I have a question yeah. or two for you. As sure, well. sure, sure. So mine starting off one through 10, number one, knuckle duster. And then in second place, I've got Koichi third place. I actually have captain celebrity. Fourth place is the Hoda Brothers. Fifth is Pop. Sixth is Wrapped Tokage. Uh, seventh is Stendhal or uh, 
pre-stain. Pre-stain. Thank you, God. My brain is totally blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I've got Shirakumo six, which is the only one you and I agreed on in ninth spot, and then Aizawa for tenth. Yeah, I I still I call major shenanigans on Aizawa at ten. But what? I yeah. don't get me wrong. I love Aizawa. Like he's one of my favorite characters in general. But like in the essence of vigilantes, to me, he's this character that is. He's there because he's there in the the main series, right? Like they were able to bring folks in using him. I think. I think that that was a a a ploy to get normal my hero folks that only watch my hero or read my hero to read vigilantes. Like they see Aizawa, they're gonna go, "Oh, cool! I want to know more about Aizawa." Yeah, but he plays a bigger part in the actual narrative of vigilantes than Shirakumo does. He does, but Shirakumo's this awesome little like starburst in the yeah, midst he's a little of all nugget, this. Little yeah. nugget of good a little nugget of goodness in vigilantes. Exactly. I'll give you that. Yeah, so like I don't know. I placed him just a little bit higher because in my mind like if it hadn't if if everything that happened with Shirakumo hadn't happened, Aizawa wouldn't be where he is today. So he's going to rank a little bit higher than Aizawa. Okay. That's now, how I'm going to play that one. <laughs> okay, so I understand why you would put Knuckle Duster first. Um and I don't strongly disagree with that. I mean, I do a bit, but not strongly. It's just on principle. It's Koichi's story. But um <laughs> Why is Captain Celebrity so damn high on your list? <laughs> Dude, he was awesome. Like that whole scene with him at the needle or whatever they called it. I, it's been like, what, six months since we read Vigilantes? Uh, it feels like it's been forever. But that whole bit where he like his transformation, his story arc. I mean, the moment we met Captain Celebrity, I think you and I both were like, screw that guy. I never like if he dies, that'll be oh, the yeah. best part about this you know, story. And then at the end of it, I was like, man, I'm kind of sad to see this guy go like. He actually became a really cool hero, and we got to see this awesome story arc where we had a character we hated and then slowly learned to love him and see him become a better hero, become a better person. Like, I don't know. That's what the Vigilantes is all about to me, and like my hero in general is all about seeing these characters go from being these flawed individuals to being these amazing heroes. And that's what Captain Celebrity was, so I felt like he deserved a pretty high spot. So his... his heel turn basically his his you know trajectory as a character is what got him in my top 10 but you got him in the top three yeah i like captain celebrity i'm not gonna lie that surprised me a bit i also thought that it was interesting i wasn't totally surprised that you picked wrapped and not soga um like soga cracked my top 10 you had wrapped in what sixth place yeah but you've you've always been a big fan of rap. I um, like rap because he's the comic relief. Like him and Hoda yeah. Brothers go pretty high up for me just because they are these the injections of happiness into each chapter. You know what yeah. I mean? The reason I didn't do anything with Soga is because we don't know anything about Soga yet. Like he doesn't bring a whole lot to the story from the perspective of like he's not interrupting to make funny jokes. What we do know is that he tried to rape Pop in the first like five chapters and that he beat up Koichi and then all of a sudden he's this guy that Knuckle Duster is working with. So I'm like, ah. I mean, like, we see that he's doing okay, good things now, but in general, we don't know a whole lot about where he came from, how he's related to these folks. I mean, we know he's trying to do better, but we just I don't know, know that Beyond Scared Straight worked for him, and that's enough for me. And that he, <laughs> okay. you know, takes up after Knuckle Duster's uh, particular fashion sense. And I that's, was like, that's endearing. I like Soga enough to put him in my top 10, especially over, like, I don't need, I don't know that we read the official top 10, but some of the other characters that cracked the top 10 in Vigilantes now. Some of these folks, full disclosure, disclaimer, might serve bigger roles in Vigilantes past where we are. But like, Fair why enough. in the world is Mirko number five? Why yeah, is Fat Gum on this list at all? Yeah, I'm assuming Fat Gum shows up because we know that he did some stuff uh, with he, we, We've covered Fat Gum material in Vigilantes. Have we? 
Yeah, yeah I he guess was he part has of the been raid on the crab. Shack yeah, that's thing. right. That's right. Um, yeah. Midnight, I get being in the top ten. I I almost put her in my top ten because um, that makes a lot of sense. She was a big part of uh, both flashbacks and uh, the present for that particular book goings on. Um, but yeah, man, Hoda Bros, not in the top 10. I, that was the thing that I took to Discord and I was like, this list is wrong. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised that uh, Hero Killer Stain wasn't in yours just because like you really liked that character from My Hero Proper. So the, when we got his backstory and kind of like where he came from, I figured... I don't know. I figured that would have stuck in your brain a little bit more. It did for me. Like something about I, him, I really liked. I think my reason is because I don't think I needed it to like Stain. That's you know, fair. like yeah, I liked Stain already. I liked yeah. I liked his philosophy. I thought that it made some measure of of sense. Um, and, and so like the background of like how he arrived at it was cool. But I already liked Stain. So I was just like, yeah, Stendhal is cool. He's around for maybe three or four chapters, maybe a little longer than that. Not terribly long. I'll give you that. That's cool. Okay. I like this, though. I thought that coming up with top 10 was fun. I'm, I'm yeah. interested in seeing what other folks' top 10 would be. Yeah, and let us know. Like, ping us on Twitter. Drop us your top 10. Drop into the Discord. Do the same. Um, we, we would enjoy reading those, and maybe we'll share them on our next episode as well. Some user-submitted uh, top 10 from Vigilantes, we want to say explicitly. Um, last thing I wanted to do, Adam, and I know, again, we're, we're going a little long, but I wanted to talk a little bit with you and do some spitballing about Toga and Twice. And not any shipping stuff. You're never going to get that from (laughs) me, really. But I had this thought. You remember how I said that uh, I wanted to circle back around to the fact that the massacre where Twice was tied to the chair had Doop Goop and also Blood. Yeah. So that is, as far as I know, canonical evidence, even though you don't see it throughout the the rest of the episodes when the dupes get squashed or blown up or whatever. It's just the brown mud looking stuff. But the dupes have blood in them somewhere, as evidenced by that scene. Exhibit Are you sure a. that that wasn't just the original's blood? Yeah, the original only had that gash on his head. There was blood everywhere, blood all over knives, all over that yeah. room. No, you're right. I'm pretty sure the dupes have blood. Um, so I wanted to give you a brief, a brief recap of each of these, these two quirks, because they're a little similar, but just enough different that I think it's, it's meaningful. And then I want to talk about how maybe they could work together in one crazy, crazy way. And okay. I need you to tell me that it's crazy because it feels like it's ridiculous, but it's, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So, <laughs> all right, hit me. Toga's quirk um, allows her to transform herself by ingesting blood. Okay. Twice's allows him to create clones outside of himself, but he needs specific measurements. He has to have knowledge. That's why his little wristband thing is a, a, you know, a tape measure, remember? Yeah, that's right. Toga's transformation is time-restricted uh, d- based upon the amount of blood that she ingests. So far as I know, Twice's clones have no such time restriction. It is a damage sponge kind of restriction. If they take X amount of damage, then they pop. As of this episode... Of, or these episodes of the anime, Toga can copy quirks. We already knew Twice could do that. If he was familiar enough with the person that he was generating uh, a clone of, they could use their quirk. See Dobby V. Aizawa and also Vlad in uh, the summer camp arc for Exhibit B. Um, so here's this crazy idea that I have. If you could combine these two quirks, then you could conceivably, I think, have Toga ingest twice as blood, giving her the ability 
to not only transform into twice, but to create clones that would also then also be able to clone because that's twice his thing. Correct. Sure. You with me on that? I'm, I'm following. Now, if she did, if she ingested twice as blood along with a little bit of Endeavor blood, a little bit of Hawk's blood, a little bit of Midoriya blood, we know that she can kind of swap between transformations. She can go from transformation A, transformation B, transformation C, but again, only on herself. But if she has twice's cloning ability as well, she wouldn't be transforming herself. She would be creating clones that could then transform who would also then have quirks and would not necessarily be time-restricted, although they might. Um, the argument could be made that they would have a similar time restriction. But they're twice as, they're, they're clones because of twice as things, so they might not, is what I'm saying. So what I'm thinking is, if she somehow gets a hold of a whole bunch of blood, then she could make clones that would be exact copies, DNA exact copies, including usage of quirks, of literally anybody. And so she could make an army of heroes that would then combat the arm, the existing army of heroes. I feel like it would make more sense for her to just give the DNA to Jen to like look at. I don't think his quirk works like that. I don't think his gets that. I don't think he can look at a DNA chain like, and figure it out. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I, to be honest, where I thought you were going with this was going to be that she could get the quirks or she could get the blood from Dobby or not Dobby, but from uh, Twice's clones. So, like, if if Twice went and was able to measure up Deku and then make a double of Deku, she could just steal blood from that Deku and have an endless supply of Dekus. You know no, what no, I mean? no. But it has you're to saying... be from the original. It's the, the clone blood is the thing where, like, um, she, she would have an infinite supply of, of Twice blood. She wouldn't have to consistently tap the original. She could be like, I know you're tired because I sapped some blood from you. Just make a clone. I'll take it from him. Yeah, no, I guess I could see that. It makes sense to me. So I'm thinking that her blood ingestion for her transformation would bypass the measurement requirements of Twice's so that she could just create an army of whoever she wants with full quirk use and that they, because they're clones, not her transforming herself, number one, it keeps her out of immediate danger. That's one of the biggest shortcomings of her particular thing is it has to be her that's, true. that's on the front lines using the quirk. With Twice's, as we saw in these episodes, wouldn't have to be. In fact, I would argue that once Twice's arms are broken, that is the last time we see the original in these episodes, full stop. In I part agree. because we never see an unmasked twice for the rest of this episode. And two, all of them have completely working arms. Absolutely. So yeah, no, he's sending all of these dupes out there because he can. Because if they pop, they pop and it does no harm to him. So if you mix, if you get her to do his blood and other people's bloods, and she clones herself, she's out of the front lines, but still creating dupes that have full quirk access um, tied to their actual DNA instead of to uh, any kind of measurements that Twice might need, because he's never going to be able to get really great measurements of Endeavor, for example, unless he's sure. unconscious or whatever. But the blood thing gets around that. And so that just seems like this wild... Like, that's like how loophole. the villains win. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, like, there's some part of me that wants to argue that there's going to be some level of degradation in Quirk. Like, it's not something that they can really, at least I don't feel like it's something that they could really study in-universe just quite yet, because Quirks haven't gone, you know, they've not been around long enough. But, I mean, it, there's reason to believe that if you continuously clone something, eventually it's going to degrade in some way or fashion, right? Like, 
that's I feel like a thing in a lot of cloning movies is that like if you continue to clone, eventually that degrades in some way. Uh, I mean, think about all of the Supermans that were cloned, right? Like, I mean, you've got Bizarro for a reason. Or uh, like in the Alien series, there are all those clones of Ripley that are like all messed up. So like, I'm just thinking like in every scenario where there are clones of some kind, there's some degradation. Even even with like data, like real data, if you take, you know, uh, several like, I don't know, PDF files or something, like if you take actual physical file, physical, whatever, if you take files on a computer and continuously copy them over and over and over and over, that though there's some degradation there, right? Like you lose some bit of that. So I don't know. I feel like there's reason to believe that that may not be possible just because of that. And they wouldn't know because they've not had enough people with like copying ish quirks. You know what I mean? See, I would think that the biggest, the biggest argument I think that could be made that I couldn't quite sort out would, would be that if the clones that she made with the DNA also using twices would have this similar restraint based on the amount of blood ingested. But even still, say they were on an hour clock, if you put, you could put conceivably five heroes worth of blood into a single clone and they can swap at, you know, at will between Endeavor, Aizawa, whoever the hell else they might want to throw in there. And they could just do that mid-battle. Like, well, we also don't on... know how quickly she can swap. Like, we've not that's, seen yeah, that in true. action. So it might that, take a that second. might take a, a little while, yeah. yeah. There could also be the level of, like, how much would that wear down on her? You know what I mean? Like, would she even be able to maintain that for a period of time? If she's, I mean, if she's using their quirks as well, that could cut back on the time she's able to use it. So, unless I'm misunderstanding, but... No, no. I think that there are, there are weaknesses. There are a lot of limitations. There have to be. We're yeah. always looking for those things. Right, right. But I think it's conceivable, maybe, that if you got these, if you, if she ingested twice as blood and used his clone to make her transformation and extension outside of herself instead of her self on the front line, that there is a lot of potential for crazy combinations and damage, even if it's just for a short period of time. There's a lot of potential for a lot of psychology, like psych psych trauma there. I mean, can you imagine (laughs) like all of these extra doubles of all of these different heroes being like, am I the real Deku? Can you imagine how cry that would be? Yeah, and I wonder too, like if she took, say she got Endeavor blood and she created a clone of Endeavor, what we know about the clones of Twice is that they are all individuals. Right. And they, they have their own wills. That's why Twice has to tell them, you're clones, it's okay, you can die, I'll bury you, which is a lie. But um, <laughs> so if, if they got Endeavor blood and she did the clone slash transformation thing with him, would Endeavor just be like, the hell, what am I doing with the bad guys? And just start laying waste to them. You know, that might be a that wrinkle would make to sense it. too. Yeah. No, because I guess they would retain their own personalities. Although I totally want to see like good endeavor versus bad endeavor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, That's I fun. spent That's way cool. too much time thinking about this stuff. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> did. This is deep. This is this is too many layers for my very tired brain. <laughs> oh yeah, man. I'm I'm with you. Let's let's wrap up this episode so we can both go to sleep. Absolutely. Well, I think that has been all as far as I'm aware, unless you've got anything else to bring up. Nope, nope. This was an extra long episode because there was a lot to cover in these two episodes, and then we definitely had to fight about top 10 vigilantes, and then I had to have my wild what-if scenario that ate up probably <laughs> 10 minutes of time. <laughs> oh, but it's a fun what-if scenario. I like those. 
Yeah, uh, we don't so, go long, very long. We try to keep it pretty close to an hour, hour ten. So absolutely. Well, hopefully everyone enjoyed this episode, and hopefully everyone enjoyed our first episode of Kyo Cinema last week. That was a blast. I can't wait to get more episodes of those recorded and out into the public. Yeah, me too. The next one drops a week after this uh, episode hits the AMP feed. Absolutely. So I guess we will see everybody next week or possibly two weeks from now. We'll see you. Bye. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 